yeah, like it's interesting thinking about changing an industry when you're actually more well known for your sunglasses. The hell kind of shakedown is this? Well, thanks for asking. This week, we're talking about the birth of digital cinematography, or maybe a more interesting title is How Two Billionaires Changed an Industry. Welcome to Shakedown, which is our way of looking behind the scenes of film. I'm Julian Mitchell, founder of Definition Magazine. And I'm Larissa Mori, writer, editor, and VFX specialist. And this is an anniversary, really, episode about uh, digital cinematography, because next year it'll be 20 years since the first digital movie, which was Attack of the Clones, came out, even though uh, there was a long time before that preparing for such a thing, which which is what we're going to go into. Um, I think this is a a good way of describing this first kind of few years of digital cinematography in as much as uh, we have a couple of billionaires who kind of bookended it uh, at the start and five years later another billionaire um, turned up, which you know I think you can all guess who that might be. But... Um, <laughs> Say hello to our first billionaire, who was George Lucas. And uh, George Lucas was an immense influence on the world of film, not just because of the films he made, but uh, dig a little deeper into his past. And he was he was a he loved technology. In fact, he before the digital movie that was uh, Attack of the Clones, he introduced. Uh, a couple of platforms, edit platforms uh, for sound and editing, edit droid and sound droid. Uh, so droid was a big word in his world, even even before Star Wars started. Uh, and he introduced those in the in the eighties. Uh, and coming up to sort of mid nineties, uh, his his eye was definitely on digital cinematography. Um, He'd, uh, wow. he'd, yeah, uh, he'd had. I think that's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's. If he had one eye on that, I mean, what kind of person does that? I mean, he's directing all these movies, but he wants to change the world. Absolutely. I mean, he changed. You know, he changed my childhood for sure. Like with Indiana Jones, with Star yeah. Wars, you can't, you can't replace those films. I feel, you know, as someone who has always been a fan of Pixar. You know, I love what he's done there too. You know, he recruited Ed Catmull. Um, he yeah. had, well, he basically started the computer division, which then became Pixar. So, you know, it just shows, like, I think when you look on Pixar's website, it shows that when he first started the computer division, his wish list was, uh, you know, a digital film editing system, the nonlinear sound editing system. So, you know, as All you right. said, like, yeah, it's really interesting that even when founding the computer division that then became Pixar, he was interested in, you know, digital's role in filmmaking, you know, back in, yeah, 1979. So it is, he's, he's always been such an important, yeah. you know, part contributor to film and digital film and just advances in technology and how those could be, you know, used to aid the filmmaking process. Yeah, and he and he pushed it on. I mean, he without him, it may have not happened for another five years. I mean, he he basically his own will forced forced Sony, for instance, to 
jumped their roadmap, technical roadmap, a few years because they were they were in no way ready for for twenty four frames a second digitally. Um, he was he he pushed them, and in fact he, I think what happened he got a he got a digital beta cam uh, for behind the scenes shots that he was doing in his TV and film work. And I think what happened is that he was so impressed by the advance uh, with digital beta cam that a kind of light bulb moment happened. And he thought that he he should start the Star Wars prequels digitally, though that didn't happen because the first the first one was still shot in film and Sony mm. weren't ready. But he was he was asking an awful lot of Sony to come up with a yeah. 24 frame uh, 1920 um system. And, you know, 20 years ago, that was a big deal. Completely. I can't imagine what it must feel like, you know, with Sony having George Lucas there asking you these things. You, you feel indebted that you you have to work to to make yeah a lot of pressure technology to suit yeah to well, it's, suit this, it's funny you say you know, that visionary. it's funny you say that because i have found out about some not secret but some meetings that um that <laughs> he had with uh, sony japan and uh, there was oh, uh, I can't imagine. yeah the whistle went back to 1996 uh, at a Simti meeting in Los Angeles. Um, and George was there with his technical team a, and a management team from Sony Japan were there. And they had a kind of dinner and they talked about um, the possibility of this 24P system. And uh, at the end of the dinner, Japan and Sony, Sony Japan had agreed to, to do a system based on their HD cam system, which was really a TV format. Uh, and... And for him, for for the first or the second film, as it turned out, um, so he applied the pressure to Sony, and to their credit, they came up with a system. Uh, even though, if you think back to those days, which was 1996, um, the idea of producing a digital system, you being a Sony um, marketeer, you might think, well, how much money is in that? I mean, how much money is in digital cinematography because they obviously this was so new that they didn't realize that the market would be anything but maybe a few like who would Absolutely. who who would give up film to and i think film the like fact that. that it was george lucas was mm. what did it because ultimately exactly. you know it, that's it's you know his it's because of him that the hollywood system began to take digital seriously you know totally. he was yeah. the one who you know, he he basically influenced other filmmakers to abandon, you know, what was the normal back in the day, you know, to question the advantages of digital over celluloid and, you know, what, what like, I guess the status quo. And it's because of him. He was such a big name after Star Wars, after all he'd done. So, yeah, I think if it had been anyone else... It would have been a much tougher sell for Sony. Maybe yeah. they wouldn't have delivered. Maybe we would have waited, who knows how much longer, for digital to become used in Hollywood. I think that's exactly right. I think without him, it would have been. It would have happened, obviously, but it would have been another. I think five years. Uh, I would say, or maybe maybe less. You don't know, but there were there were some technical problems there. I mean, the HD cam was a sixteen by nine aspect ratio format, and 
you were asking Sony to turn that into a CinemaScope to 35 to 1 aspect ratio. I mm. mean, you know, that's a big problem. How then do you deal with um, uh, turning it into film for distribution from that point, from a Completely. 19, 20, to 80 um, resolution? Uh, but, you know, again, uh, Sony Sony came to the party and and they there were other meetings and other film outs and then there was a question of the compression that you get with HD cam and and this is where this is where George is, is quite impressive because he, he basically said, Well, let's use our eyes. Let's not worry about the compression. And mm. and and I don't want to really hear. I can hear the I can hear the billionaire talking here. I don't want to hear, <laughs> you know, arguments about compression. Let's just use our eyes and 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 decide between us if we go ahead and and that's exactly what happened there was a um again my research shows that in march uh, year 2000 there was a final film out screening held at skywalker ranch uh and these were wow. the final tests on the the prototypes the prototype hdw f900 cameras which uh, george had been asking for and um after a long time of thinking about if if it's good enough they all agreed that it was and and a green light was given to shoot star wars episode 2 entirely in 24p wow. big as a big moment i mean if you think about 20 years ago which is this is 20 years ago well 20 years ago last year even though the movie was out 2 years later from that point uh it took 2 years to release it but I remember a time when, like you said, film guys and girls would never even consider using digital because if you look at 1920 to 80, then you kind of imagine that film is, as a resolution, you could equate it to much bigger than that. I mean, it's you could even Absolutely, go up to, yeah. you know, higher than 8K, higher than 16K. Um, and then you were telling people to use this kind of TV format. Um, there were a lot of very unhappy people <laughs> at that time. <laughs> and, um, you know, and to be fair to them, if you go back and watch the film, which I have um, on Disney Plus, it doesn't look great, to be completely honest with you. And then I mean, what about the VFX? You know? No, but Compared it's... To, yeah. it is It is a little bit... I mean, we're very lucky because we've seen some fantastic stuff since then. But back then, yeah, uh, thank God it's a it's a half decent movie, which it is. I like it. I know <laughs> you. I know you're not a Star Wars uh, fan as such. I mean, yeah, I definitely feel like the you know obviously I I guess I I agree with what everyone says, in, <laughs> which is that you know the originals were. Uh, the better films they were the groundbreaking ones yeah. but then it's interesting that the sequels were groundbreaking well this sequel was groundbreaking but in a different way <laughs> not because it was this you know this crazy space film that no one would have even thought could make money that then became part of our like culture <laughs> you know yeah. it's yeah well massively crazy massively uh, yeah. cult culturally relevant um yeah and that was the time when when the when it was all agreed I remember that um, George made another I'm a billionaire statement by saying <laughs> that he would never use film for films again. And it was a, a beautiful soundbite and captured captured the, 
all the media attention at that time. Um, and, uh, you know, what a guy. Impressed. Yeah. Um, there is some irony w- with all that, though, because um, the last uh, Star Wars film that was made was uh, last year or the year before, directed by J.J. Abrahams, who uh, shot it on film. So <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, ironies <laughs> are ironies. But... Um, so that was George Lucas, uh, and amazing, <laughs> amazing uh, thought process to push Absolutely. to push this into into production, uh, and and you know, well done, Sony and Panavision, of course, who who had to come up with the lenses uh, to suit this this new format or this new cinematography format. Um, so that was that was our first billionaire. Um, I think it's um it's it's really interesting actually you know when you think about how this started and you know now so many years later I do feel like the advocates of film still very that you know you still have people mm. who absolutely feel like film is the future and yeah I I like you know for like with Martin Scorsese and how he created the Film Foundation. I think, you know, he's such an advocate of it. And, you know, obviously others like Quentin Tarantino, Spielberg, Christopher Nolan. I think there's almost still this feeling that film is, I guess, the the better format in many respects, which is interesting, like, you know, with Lutz and how they always have to emulate film to be considered, you know, great Lutz. Like, it's, it's, I do think that is quite interesting that we still very much stick to film as a look, despite... It being so many years, um, you know, since digital. And how many um, how many DOPs actually put um, old glass on their digital cameras? Yeah, completely. Yeah, completely. It's it's weird. Like it's like we're always still looking for that, like the old look, <laughs> I guess, like yeah. the the vintage look. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, quite interesting. But the, I thought it was really interesting because I recently learned that. Uh, uh, Scorsese made the switch, you know, in uh, Wolf Wall Street. He ah, okay. be- basically became the first feature, apparently, to not produce a 35 mil print for cinemas. So it's quite, it's quite interesting, actually, that, mm. you know, slowly under the radar, there are people who are making the switch to digital. <laughs> but yeah. But you talk to some people um, about using film against digital. And these are these are the old diehards. Some of them, you know, um, yeah. most people who work in cinema, you know, they'll use whatever they have been given, you know. But uh, some people say using film actually saves you money, and they will do this itemized uh, uh, list on why that is and why shooting digitally just lets you shoot all day long. Of course, shooting all day long produces lots and lots of footage, and Absolutely. that has to be edited and uh, you know. A DIT and all those things. So there are swings and roundabouts stills, but um, for your indie shooter, it's always going to be digital. And but back then, yeah. back then it was the times were interesting because people who've been working in cinema would not use digital. They would look at a digital camera like the nine hundred F nine hundred and see it as an ENG camera, like something that you'd see on TV on news gathering. You know, with people with one of these things on their shoulder in 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 places in worn, torn places, you know, and 
there was a there was a lot of rumbling going on even when the um, the Star Wars first film came out, and a company like Ari, who I mean Ari's been around for over a hundred years, and and they made film cameras and they were making film cameras for that hundred years and were making the best film cameras, things cameras yeah. that would never go wrong. They were just made to last. And so there was something, there was some catching up to do. And this is what George did. He 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 basically nudged all these other companies into action, which you could arguably say wasn't wouldn't happen if George hadn't done that. So you had you had Ari in the background who went into great R&D uh, for their digital camera. And um, they had a camera that was being tested, I think, around about 2003, 2004. And mm. I actually, actually talked to an operator the other day who, who, who tested it, well, along with um, a DOP. So Peter Versey and Sue Gibson uh, were testing this unknown, unnamed Ari camera. Um, wow. So, and they, I actually didn't know that. I mean, I remember the, that camera turned into something called the D20, then the D21. And then obviously, you know, a few years later, the Alexa, which again, changed the story again. But um, Absolutely. there was lots of, it was an interesting time because you had lots of different cameras coming out from, say, universities who just saw it as a pet project. They would build a digital camera because they had the they had the wherewithal and the engineering uh, announced to to do it. So you were getting you were getting lots of introductions of new cameras around that time that had no commercial value really because no one ever bought them. Uh, mm. And so it was a it was a bit of a wild west feeling about it um, until. Love... Go on. No, I absolutely love that. I think yeah. um, it's really. I think it's really rare that you, you you get this technology that's being developed from, you know, universities and smaller yeah. teams and, you know, technologies that democratize the industry. I'm always a fan of those. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I think anything that can get, you know, DOPs coming out of university immediately able to invest in their own cameras, immediately able to shoot their own films. I think that's, I'm all for that. I think that's fantastic. I think we might be kind of heading into a, kind of a brave new world where you see more people behind the camera, you know, more diversity mm. when it comes to filmmakers. Uh, and if a technology aids that and, you know, helps filmmakers from all sorts of backgrounds to kind of put their stories and their perspective on screen, that's amazing. I think that's, I'm so happy that George yeah. did what he did, you know. Yeah, I mean that was him. I mean he pushed it forward, and he, and he, he he didn't put his reputation on the line, but you know he he committed a large amount of money and a large amount of resource to getting yeah. it done. And I and I do I mean I joke half joke about the billionaire thing, but I do think it takes someone like that to to start things going because other than that, it would have happened as we said, but maybe a few years later and uh, you put the pressure on these other other companies and, and things have to happen uh, commercially it's important have, i mean didn't he donate quite a lot of uh, his estate when he sold to disney as well Did he? I, I don't actually know this i think uh i i, I need to research this actually yeah but well this is I might be another episode yeah he's actually i'm gonna fan 
George now, like just gonna fangirl <laughs> everywhere with it. But yeah, like he 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 gave away like some like half of his fortune when he sold Lucasfilm to Disney. It's just wow. crazy, you know. He's he's so like like so, like he's so rare for you know he's not really what you would envisage when you think of this billionaire. You know, he's awesome. It's another he's level, done so much. It? Yeah, it's another level. And what a lovely segue into billionaire number two. <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> yeah, Jim Jannard, who um, who founded Red Cameras in, well, officially 2005, but um, he was a man who's a massive film fan and a massive film camera fan and a massive camera fan, if you like. Um, he he founded Oakley Sunglasses which uh, I know I told you about him before. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, so he was a already a billionaire before before Red came along, but the sunglasses gave him the wherewithal to to start a new camera company. Um, just a couple of facts about his Oakley time. Uh, he started <laughs> selling these sunglasses, or I think he actually started selling some motorbike accessories out the back of his car. Uh, of course he did. Yeah, in California. Um, <laughs> Californian startup. Uh, and, and he turned Oakley uh, from a $300 startup to a company of over 5,000 employees. Um, wow. And some other facts about him. By 1996, Oakley had passed Ray-Ban in worldwide sales. Um, so he, he did very well. And he... Pretty market, yeah. Marketing genius, maybe, probably. Uh, yeah. There's got to be something there in a billionaire's psyche that sort of takes these risks. Um, and and again, like George, he wanted to change the industry. I mean, he saw the cameras out there. He had so I think he got one of every camera produced. He certainly sounds like he did. He he, he talks about a lot about being a massive camera fan, and and he actually said in an interview that there wasn't a camera that he wanted to buy. Uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, what does a billionaire do? They make their own. <laughs> they make their own <laughs> camera. I think it's interesting mm. what different backgrounds. You know, like by the yeah. time, you know, George was interested in digital, he he was this really really famous filmmaker already. He was so yes. recognized in the industry, and he was changing the industry as someone within it. You know, whereas, yeah, like it's interesting thinking about changing an industry when you're actually more well known for your sunglasses yeah but i suppose it's the optical side there is a connection isn't it the optical side of the sunglasses yeah that's true and that's the true. and the vision of a movie camera because it's the movie cameras that really got to him i mean he says in this interview steve gibby interview that um that he'd got cameras that he was very content with but in the video motion picture side he couldn't come up with something that he really wanted to buy and own. And it just seemed like a big hole in the market. I mean, what I love about Jim Jannard is he talks in marketing speak. <laughs> it's like a brochure speak. And, and I think that's, that's kind of endears you to him in the way he talks because he's, he's so passionate. If you go on reduser.net, he's very passionate in those early posts that he did, very passionate about what they were trying to do. And how they were trying to do it, and and they sold red cameras in a very unusual way, very 
commercial and retail way, which is very unusual for um, the pro video world. And he was he decided to sell them as a deposit down, and then you'd get your camera whenever, you know, a couple of years later. <laughs> which is, you know, and again, great marketing because people love the idea of someone building a camera from the ground up and a, and a camera that wasn't 1920 1080 a camera that was looking to be 4k from the very start yeah that's true yeah that's and, true i yeah. think everyone loves being i mean you do have these early adopters and it's great to feel like you were kind of like the first to be involved and to invest in this this yeah. brand new company that's doing something that's never been done before. I mean, I get that completely. Yeah. And he was he was amazingly well thought of by the people who wanted his camera. And these are very I mean, from from the very sort of smallest indie type person to people who were gonna shoot films with it. That was the key. He wanted a camera for everybody. So uh he was he was selling them at around seventeen and a half thousand dollars um, mm. and you put a thousand dollars down to get on the line and um, which was you know people people loved it because they could get their money back if you cancelled your order but I think it, oh, it yeah. interested people because they understood what he was trying to do mm. um, and uh, he he started selling them I think at the 2006 NAB, um, and a lot of the diehards again, people didn't believe that it was possible, and he almost took this personally, Jim, and <laughs> <laughs> because you're questioning him, and this is a guy that's you know he he made Oakley into a a massive company, which he then sold Absolutely. to an Italian sunglass company uh, for a couple of billion dollars, so. He had resources. He'd ready to do himself. Yeah, he was ready. Um, so, yeah, so talking about that, because uh, I actually went to that NAB, um, and he, he pitched up. This is up, a crazy story. It's, yeah, it's, it was a crazy time because he pitched up in a tent. <laughs> I mean. Just a, a, a tent like, hey, I'm doing something that's going to disrupt this whole industry. Here I am. Yeah, it was a very much pitch up in a tent and sell your wares type thing. And there are I'm certain, thinking. if you think about how he sold his sunglasses from the back of a car. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Pitching up in a tent, he's, although he's a very big tent. Yeah, yeah, you're being consistent, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a big red tent because uh, it was red cameras, obviously. And um, we went along to this. Uh, and were lucky enough to jump the queue. I think because we were, we were media, so we were lucky enough to go to to go to the top of the queue and and walked in, and um, went to sit down. Um, we had our badges on and our shirts with our branding, so we were high definition magazine back then. And uh, I remember walking into the entrance. And then hearing someone sort of shouting at me, which was interesting. And it was uh, <laughs> it was in a, an American accent. Now I know it's a Texas accent. I'm not going to try it. But he basically <laughs> saw that better. we were called high definition. 
And the whole marketing um, direction of RED at that point was 4K and high definition basically being 1920 1080. He, yeah. he basically wound me up. He was having a go at me saying <laughs> that high definition was the past and that RED were have gone way past that as a resolution. And as he as I turned around, he was pointing at his chest as if to say, you know, it says on your chest that you're high definition. And I and I kind of, you know, I just got accosted by Jim Jannard, which is hilarious. Um That's but, amazing. Is that, <laughs> is that why I changed to definition magazine later? I think that was part of it. I think maybe he just said, <laughs> Your your history. You know, and he kind of like, you know, we're it's, we're on our way. It takes a special that. person to, you know, shout that across <laughs> the tent, just like, hey, change the name of your magazine, will you? Yeah. And, but I, maybe he had a, <laughs> had a word to say to everybody who came in. He was, I mean, this guy's, he's huge. He's six foot six. He has a bald head. He, he looks quite fit, quite muscular. And you don't see him that often because... At that time, he was in charge, but now I think he's sort of moved away and he's not retired because I think he now is working on more conservation things. And uh, mm. he bought a couple of islands in Fuji. In Fiji, sorry. And um, Of course you would. Yeah. yeah, as you do. And Power um, to him, you know. Pardon? Power to him. That's, yeah, exactly what I would uh, do. Power to him. him. Yeah, I think it sounds like a great thing to do. But back then, it was it was amazing. And, and to be honest with you, it really shook up the industry with that kind of guy getting involved. And um, and they're still there. And now they're into, you know, they've been 8K for a number of years now. And um, their cameras are used all over the place, you know, wildlife, natural history, uh, and things like that. So as a kind of introduction to digital cinematography those first five years there's so much going on it's it's unreal yeah absolutely changed the rest of uh, our lives changed the media we watched yeah it did and, and 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 i think i think maybe we might do where it goes from now you know where, where we are yeah. now and we'll push on and and maybe do another episode on the next five years, you know. But that was a, as a as an introduction to a, an industry, you know. I think it's a good one to start our podcast off with. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay. I couldn't agree more. Oh, what a what a genius! Uh, man, I would love to sit down to dinner with him and just chat. Yeah, he um, sounds great. Yeah, now he's very impressed, and it's a great story. To be honest, it is. It is. I have be. a feeling every story with him is uh, something you'll remember for the rest of your life. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I only I actually only remembered that uh, encounter with him when doing research for for this because oh, I suddenly realised that the, yeah, uh, and the the way he was he was like the ringmaster at that point in his red tent. Mm. He was whipping up this storm of marketing and 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 this camera and he took a little bit longer to come out and there were kind of like you know teething problems as everybody who makes a new camera will testify to these things are not easy to make yeah yeah and he was uh and he was trying to do lots of things 
that were basically impossible and very hard to do. Um, mm. So, you know, hats off to him. So there's a couple of billionaires Absolutely. for you. It's interesting, um, you know, with George, I feel very much like he was, he basically made Hollywood take digital seriously. And then Jim came in and introduced higher resolution. So, yeah. yeah. It it yeah. kind of continued on from George's work. So, yeah, quite interesting. I wonder if they ever met those two. I bet they did. I'd, ah, like, to th I'd like to, to think they did. The wall, <laughs> to be a fly on the wall for that meeting. Yeah. Okay, this is uh, the end of our first ever podcast ep episode with Larissa and me. And uh, there'll be a, another one coming along very soon. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye.